Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, and uh, welcome once again to History Dweebs. I'm Tim, and the topic of our podcast today is the Candyman, the Houston Murders, uh, the topic is Dean Arnold Correll, uh, who was an American serial killer, also known, as I mentioned, as the Candyman, who, together with two uh, of his accomplices, David Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley, abducted, tortured, and murdered at least 28 boys in a series of killings in 19, from 1970 to 1973 in Houston, Texas. We'll talk more about all of their dastardly deeds, but before we do, I'd like to introduce my panel. As always, I'm joined by the very lovely and talented, the Queen of Mean, the Empress of Evil, the Mistress of the Macabre, and Satan's dirty little secret, Brandy. How are you today, Brandy? Somebody stole my Pop-Tarts, Tim. Somebody stole my Pop-Tarts out of my office. Jesus Christ. I'm pissed. You've been talking about that for days. Well, no, because I just found it this morning. Seems like days, doesn't it, Colonel? Well, I just want to know what kind of savage comes in and steals a person's Pop-Tarts. Thank you. Who does that? I don't know, but I was... What kind of animal does that? Well, first of all, you don't lock your door, because I walked by your office yesterday. Your door was wide open. I closed it for you. Well, she got none to hide. Except her Except little my sat- goddamn pop-tarts. satanic rituals. Are you sure you didn't use them when you were sacrificing a goat? Well, I'm no, sorry about it. Besides your uh, pop-tarts, which really shouldn't have in your office, because that attracts bugs and... And evidently thieves. <laughs> uh, you know, the colonel here is uh, uh, ATP, or APT. He's anti-Pop-Tart. I'm, so I'm not so much anti-Pop-Tart. Did huh? we discuss that earlier? You're pro-Bridge. He's I'm pro-Bridge, and then, of course, I, I belong to the Anti-Cheese College. Of course. <laughs> I just say I, I prefer me a good toaster strudel. Yeah. That's fine, but I can't make toaster strudel here. So I take the Pop-Tarts. That is my breakfast. Well, Pop-Tarts are not really a pastry so much as a... No, they're Pop-Tarts. They're, they're vending machine food. Yes. You can't well, get a good toaster strudel out of a vending machine. You can No, you cannot. Yeah. That's so, a true statement. Well, I'm sorry, Brandy, about your... I don't uh, think you are sorry. <laughs> You're being sorry. kind of a smart-ass about it, so... <laughs> I, am I, do I, are you sensing that I'm condescending? A little bit. Well, when we, when we solve the great Pop-Tart caper... Uh, we will do a podcast on it. Yes, yes, we will. Uh, Brandy, do you have anything to say before I go to you know who? Um, what am I, Voldemort now? I haven't introduced you yet. You're not another Voldemort. No, because then we couldn't say your name. Don't be dumb. Um, I don't have anything today. I was on a tear earlier about people who are at are the first car at a 
light and you have to make a left hand turn or whatever it is yeah. if you're the first car to light pay the fuck attention because sometimes light only lasts so long and if you're fucking on your phone or dicking around and you miss the goddamn light I'm gonna be pissed so you you have a little road rage yeah today's not been today's not been great for me I don't like cat I like I don't like to come in and play catch up and you didn't someone stole your pot trucks and someone stole my pop tarts, and I watched a wreck this morning. Is it? Can I just ask you a question? You're not here yet. If it's not stupid, which clearly it's going to be, so no, you cannot ask me. So let me introduce uh, the other member of our panel, uh, the very distinguished and honorable, uh, a man who works with multiple uh, dysfunctions. Well, works with multiple organizations doing charity work. He is the face of our erectile dysfunction <laughs> and the face of bloody stool. That is the. Uh, very talented, very honorable Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawk Waters III, affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. Although I've never heard anyone actually refer to you as the Southern Gentleman. Or affectionately. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure you are. If they do refer to you as a Southern Gentleman, it's with affection. So welcome, Colonel. How are you today? Well, I'm not too good, Timmy. What's what's wrong Did with you Did somebody make you wait a light? Because that would piss well, me no, off. Did someone um, take your Pop-Tarts? Well, the, the Colonel... Um, I had to go to the doctor and have a procedure done. Uh, what and, kind of uh, procedure was that? It's a procedure uh, It's a personal, personal it matter. And, uh, if it's personal, why are you bringing it up? They have told me I can no longer be the face of Bloody Stool. Why is that? He had his asshole sewn shut. Yeah. That's what happened. Save the lady with no vagina. Oh, so you're the man without an anus. I could be. He's one ginormous anus, so I don't know if it's that much of a loss for him. Can I ask you a question, devil? Yeah. Um, and, and I understand the loss of your Pop-Tarts, are, you're taking them to heart. Staggering. And, uh, and Prince. And Prince. And Prince. And Prince. And what about Billy Paul? The loss of Billy yes. Paul? Yes! Jones. He, she died. And, Mitha uh, Jones. Mitha Jones. And, and, and you, you, I just got to ask you this question. I don't want you to Will you get to it then? Do you got to PMS today? No. Okay, because you're acting like you got the PMS. I am not, and just because I am grumpy does not mean I have the PMS. Well, we're, no, we're worried about it your mental mean health. That. Well, you should be. <laughs> well, we it's are. a bad scene all the way around <laughs> up here. I don't know what kind of savage takes that takes a, a person's pop. Takes a bitch's pop tarts. You know, yeah. I ain't got much. Mm-hmm. I don't have much, but I enjoy my pop tarts in the morning. That's what I enjoy. It, why did they? Why are they stealing my joy? And you had a lot of pop tarts in there, probably. They I probably did. I only took, them took all. two. I had only eaten two, and it was a big box of pop tarts. <laughs> it was a oh, large box of pop tarts. Oh, that's some bullshit right there. It now. is some bullshit. That's there some were bullshit. twelve <laughs> in here. So you got ten missing tarts. Keep keep the box. We need to leave the evidence. I'm gonna no. print that box for you. They should. All right, fuckers. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you lost your pop tarts, uh, Colonel. Do you have any shout outs for us today? Are you sorry um, about Prince? Um, I do have a shout out to uh, to Prince. Uh, we we gonna miss you. Um, I, I took a little bit of grief because I said, you know, he's kind of a poor man, Stevie Wonder. Oh, oh, fuck yeah. yourself. Yeah, you're stupid. People are not happy you are stupid. about that. I just yeah. said no. I said um, no. No, I, but he's a, he was a he was a he was a fantastic guitar player. Yes, I mean, he was just amazing guitar. player. He was player. a great artist, and better than Stevie Wonder. And on his uh, best day. Stevie Wonder can't even do his own hair. No, 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 he can't. Or dress um, himself. No, well, he can, just not just not correctly. Not correctly dresses himself like Chuck. 
Well, you know, that, now you can get now you can get it again because you said something about my shirt the last time, and Renee jumped on you. You talking about my clothes? I got it. And most people. What are you talking about? You, I think your shirt's nice today. Yeah, you look nice. Today. <clears throat> well, he called me a gay lumberjack the one day when well, I had the flannel shirt on. Because that was fitting. But today you look nice. Well, I wish you'd take your badge off because we all know who you are. Renee, uh, I did not call That was Brandy that called you Paul Bunyan. I just said you looked like you were going to chop some wood. That's all I asked. <laughs> and it just, it wasn't coordinated. Paul Bunyan it, it and you said a gay Paul Bunyan. No, it wasn't coordinated. You saw Brandy first and she called you Paul Bunyan. I had no idea. But then you walked by my office and I said, good morning, Chuck. Are you going to chuck... Are you going to chop some wood today? That's all I or said. Or blow it. I just, <laughs> <laughs> and I just got to tell you, you talk about my clothing, and I, as you know, the colonel is 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 a little handicapped in the in the sight department. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm colorblind. The colonel's colorblind. Oh, like a sight, like a dog. A sight, yeah, a sight, much like too. a dog, and I'm colorblind. And uh, well, so my wife buys all my clothes. And when she buys me my clothes, she'll bring home a shirt, and she'll tell me it goes with brown pants and this tie, this tie, this tie, this tie, this tie. We have a very long podcast. I just want to throw that you out know. there. It's just getting longer by the minute. So, no, I'm just saying, if you criticize my clothes, you can bet that the she-devil, the key-stealing, skanky... Nope, nope, nope. No. That woman is a saint. And you need to quit speaking ill of her. I will rip on your shirts all damn day long. You will not rip on Renee. That, that, ha. Okay, okay let me get to my shout outs. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Back to a buttercup. Why? Well, why do you do that to her? <laughs> She's such a cute little girl. She's such a, I know. But so she, it's but really but weird and creepy that you call her that. She's a deviant. You know that, don't you? Well, again, you and your glass house. And, uh. Kitchen stones. And of course, the man who really, who really uh, has to deal with her in, uh, every day, Chris. Good guy. Great guy. Great guy. Fellow vapor. He vapes. Yeah, he does. I don't know if any of y'all people know what vaping is, but it's a it's a great substitute for cigarette smoking. Devil, you still smoking? Yes. Oh yeah. I have children, and so I work you, with you, the two you're of you. You're smoking, and you're taking illicit drugs. What do you think is going to happen to you? God, I I hope one day that I'm just <laughs> let, so high I lose my way. Please let her continue in her. Yeah, leave me alone. Yeah, we don't um, take separate her from her tobacco. We got Tara, of course, and Phyllis. Mm-hmm. Um, Tara, I'm I'm kicking your ass on the Fitbit, so don't um, don't take that too hard. Celine, Celine, and Allie with your broken ass toes. You had it coming. You know you had it coming. Have it coming. Mm-hmm. Get well soon, Allie. Well, you know what? I can say anything I want about Allie. You know why? Why? Because I've already probably said something that made her mad one time. Mm-hmm. And you know she's going to finally one day hunt me down and kill me. Yes. Because that's how we I all look built. forward to only, that day. Only if I give her. Only if I give her a case of beer. <laughs> no, Allie built like that. She just there's something about Allie. She's got that. Two, she's got 45 degrees like Timmy on criminal justice, and she got all those degrees oh, to so figure out. she can make out, you disappear. Yeah. Right, how not to get caught. That's what her, and she yeah. said she was used, she, when uh, she was mentioning that in uh, one of her previous jobs, she would go in to people's homes after they died. And, you know, these 
people who would just die loners. Yeah. And then she'd go in and investigate. So. Yeah, and then she'd have a yard she's sale. She's going to be in your house. Yes, people did that without us. She'd have a big yard sale. Yeah. yeah. You know, put their stuff out on the block. Um, Kim Taylor, um, congratulations to little Ryan Taylor, who won his first baseball game this week. Good job, Ryan. Yep. Boy's got a little cannon for an arm Hopefully just to he's throw not baseball. To us. Well, I hope not. Um, and of course, um, Lady Beverly and Sully. And I'm Facebook friends with Lady Beverly's daughter. She's a beautiful girl. Okay. We're trying to arrange a marriage right now between her daughter and Taylor, my mm-hmm. son. Um, we think that will be a uh, win, nice win. match. Win-win. Yeah, Taylor's a good we'll boy. We'll unite the kingdoms. Yes. yes. You know, yeah. And then we'll win Game of Thrones. We'll yes. really be, it, it'll be impossible to defeat us. Clearly. Um, and, of course, Trixie the one, is going to overthrow uh, the kingdom, so... I was about to give Trixie a shout out. Yeah, well, she's going to probably. I believe have, Trixie's an anarchist. She's going to have you executed, most likely. Yeah, she probably will, but not before Ali kills me first. Um, All and these people making promises. Yeah. The one. We're on board. You don't have to convince us. Yeah. The only. The incomparable. That means no one compares. No. Nothing compares nothing to her. Nothing compares no, 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 to her. No, no, no singing. No, no singing. Sinead O'Connor going to be dead next week. Yeah, well, Prince right there. Is Sinead O'Connor still bald? Yes. Is she? Yes. No singing. Oh, okay. Last I saw her, she was. She may have grown hair by now. Can we get through this? Well, you know, we haven't and, gotten even to the story yet. And Dottie Scott. Thank you. Well, and, hold on. Why is the damn impatient all the time? Because this is a long you podcast. You go off on these rants about stool color, and last time Colonel, it was about the lady with no vagina. During, that's during us going through the story. He oh, okay. interjects those and things. And we have limited... No, you have to make a time before you have to go home. No, we have to post this. We have limited space for the month of, uh, what's the hell, the month April. So we we don't have much money. Do you have any shout outs to me? Yes. I would like to give a shout out to uh, hmm, Millie and Magnus, who are cats, cats from cat, you know, cat from. Denmark. Oh yes, she showed me a picture of her her cats. So fourteen year fourteen years old, beautiful. So you're cats. giving a shout out to cats. Yeah, and to cat and her cats. Okay, because apparently I cannot say her name correctly, and you two are no fucking help. Because it's Katja. I told you it's not. According to her, it's not, and she should know her own name. She's from Denmark. She talked funny. It's Katja. Uh, according to her, just like ketchup. Ketchup. Anyway. I'd also like to give a shout out to John uh, John Cunningham, who uh, John um, suggested this topic, so we appreciate that, John. To Glenn Williams, who uh, is a big Cubs fan, he they took the Cubs one th- what three or four of the Reds this weekend or something. Yeah, but they cheated a couple well, times. No, they are they're a good team. So shout out to Glenn. Curtsy, I hope I said your name right. Curtsy. Curtsy, yeah. Because uh, I screwed it up last time. So, Curtsy, I hope I did it right this time. Rebecca, Elise, Mary Ray. We haven't heard from Mary Ray in a while. I hope she's okay. Mary Ray, if you're around, say hi to us. And, Brandy, do you have any shout-outs? Uh, well, of course, I want to shout-out to all my Team Brandy girls. What Cackling Hens. Cackling Hens. And um, I want to give a shout-out <clears throat> to Michael. Um, Michael Burzo? Yes, because he was very sweet to me. Uh, and a post, we conversed a little. 
the other night. And perhaps he'll order, he'll order you some Pop-Tarts. Well, perhaps somebody should reimburse me for my for my loss. Right. But Okay. And also, I want to give a shout-out to Alicia. You were done with your shit. Chip. I know. I'm just going down the list here. Lydia, you joined us. Erica, Donna, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being part of History Reads, the podcast page on Facebook. Now let's get into the topic, shall we? The Candy Man. Yeah, and you kind of threw me. I got to tell you on this one, Candy Man can. Yeah. Because you kept telling me we were doing one on a Candy Man, and I did all kinds of research, and I got all... I thought it was that that little little one eyed one eyed man. You thought it was Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. The little one eyed man. The one eyed man. Well, actually, he's I'm dead now. Dean Martin. Yeah, he's dead now. Part well, of the Rat Pack. A good part of our subjects are dead now. Yeah, that's true. But this is not yeah. about him. I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about anybody now. I, I know. I'm I'm bummed about Prince. All right, let's. Um, well, and I'm, you know, I'm doing this next podcast. We got another podcast coming up, hopefully later, later this week, on suicide suicide jumpers from the Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm like totally depressed in this research. So, awesome. they, they jumped off a bridge. It's depressing. You know what happened? These what? people was all friends. They no. was all friends. I mean, just like your mama said, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? That's true. Well, you know, they did. There so were 1700 like 1700 of them. Yeah. yeah. 806 of them were friends. All right. Thank you, Colonel. Well, we'll look forward to We'll talk more about that next time. Thank you, Colonel, but shut the fuck up already. <laughs> yeah. he, All right. Yeah, he tends up more and more tense. Dean <laughs> Arnold Carell. And it's spelled fucked up. Let me first let me first say his name. He can't even spell his own fucking name. He spells his name C-O-R-L-L. There should be an E in there. Do you agree or not, Colonel? Is the stress getting to you there, Timmy? Should his name not be spelled C-O-R-E-L-L? I'm just going to say, you seem a little cross to me, Timmy. Well, I'm just saying, the fucker don't even know how to spell his own name. I believe his name might be Dean Coral. Dean Coral? Well, that still isn't spelled right. He's missing a vowel. Yes, he's missing a vowel. He needs to buy a vowel. Anyway, Dean... Was born on December twenty fourth. Have 19- you gone off your meds? Hey, listen, I'm telling the story. Okay, I'm just you. you you're Dean, listen to it. You better hope not. He's gonna beat the shit out of you. Listen to this date, Colonel. He was born on December twenty fourth, nineteen thirty nine. Oh, his mama was full. No, she wasn't pregnant during the holiday. The holiday because she was oh, Thanksgiving. She was all split up and yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, but man, that was no fun Christmas at that house. All right. So anyway, they're they're from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Of course, you're very familiar with Fort Wayne, Colonel. I don't know a damn thing about Fort Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next state over? I figured you go to Chicago. You probably well, it's the next state over for you and the devil too. What the hell do I know about Fort Wayne, Indiana? All right. I, I thought I don't really think about it. Is I, it actually in Indiana? I was trying to give you a little credit for your geographical knowledge, <laughs> but apparently it's limited. Dean was the first child of Mary Robinson and Arnold. Uh, Arnold Edwin Corral. Dean's I can't I guess we can't blame him. It's probably his dad and doesn't know how to spell his name. His uh, father was very strict with his sons, uh, and his mother's was his mother was extremely protective of, of them, especially of Dean. The marriage of Dean's parents was marred by frequent quarreling and quarreling. They were singers? arguing. How about that? And the couple divorced four years after the birth of their young son Stanley in nineteen forty two. So we got Dean born in 1939 on December 24th, Christmas Eve. He was like Jesus, I guess. 
And then Stanley was born three years later in 1942. Now, Mary, the mother, uh, sold a home and relocated uh, to a trailer uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, so that they lived, they grew up there. Uh, Dean grew up there, and um, they, his parents tried to uh, reconcile their uh, marriage, but it didn't um, didn't work out. Dean was a, sh- a, a shy child; he was very serious. He seldom socialized with other children, and he had a tendency to display concern. Uh, and well being had a tendency to display concern and well being for others. At the age of seven, he suffered uh, from rheumatoid, rheumatic, I'm sorry, rheumatic fever, fever, and he was uh, yeah, right, yeah, which was um, they only discovered that in 1950. So uh, that he had a heart condition as well. So he was ordered to avoid phys, uh, physical education in, at school in 1950. Dean's parents remarried, and they moved to Pasadena, Texas. But the uh, reconciliation was short-lived, and in 1953, the couple divorced once again um, with the mom retaining custody of her son. Um, Following their second divorce, the mother remarried a traveling salesman named Jake West. Was he a hobo? I don't know. And the family moved to a small town of Vider, where uh, Correll's half-sister Joyce was born, and this is all really pretty boring stuff. Um, you wrote this show. I know, boy. man. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, uh, it, it, it was here in Vider that uh, his mother and stepfather started a small candy company. Thus, he'll get to the name the Candy Man, right? There we go. Uh, operating it out of, garage, out, out of a garage in their home. Uh, and Dean was working day and night while still in school and uh, working at the candy store. So, um, he was somewhat a loner. Dean was somewhat of a loner in his teenage years. That's a surprise. Um, his only major interest was in the high school band in which he played the trombone. Did you ever play in the school band, Colonel? I did not play the. Uh, now I heard the. I heard the devil over here play the mean skin flute. <laughs> really? <laughs> that was well, she also one. played softball. She did play softball. I was in college. Yeah. So, wait a minute. I don't know. You got the all access pass to the other building. I'm not sure you need to be talking about anybody playing the skin flute. <laughs> to get that access, I think that's what you did. Uh, what you need to do. Dean was a well-behaved student and achieved satisfactory grades prior to his graduation. Following his graduation in 1958 at uh, Vider High School, it was probably VHS is probably what they went by. Sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, The family moved to the Heights District of Houston and opened a new shop, which they called the Pecan Prince. Clever name. It is. In 1960, Dean moved to Indiana to live with his grandparents. Back to Indiana. Probably Fort Wayne. I'm sure you're very familiar with Fort Wayne. I don't know a goddamn thing about Fort Wayne. (laughs) He stayed in Indiana for almost two years, uh, forming a close relationship with a local girl. But he returned to Houston in 1962 to help the family with the family's candy business again. They just couldn't do without him. Uh, he later moved in an apartment above his own shop. Dean's uh, mother divorced Jake West in 1963 and appointed Dean as the vice president of the candy company. Mm-hmm. So here he is, VP already at the you know young age. That same year, uh, one of the 
Teenage male employees of the candy company complained to uh, Dean's mother that Dean had made sexual advances toward him. That seems unseemly. That's, I don't like the sound of that at all. In response, uh, the mother fired the, the uh, <coughs> employee. So well, yeah. That's all that problem. Despite his heart condition, Dean was drafted in the United States Army on August 10, 1964, during uh, the buildup in the Vietnam War, and he was assigned to Fort Polk in Louisiana. I know you know about Fort Polk. I do not know anything about Fort Polk. Uh, okay, well, he was there for basic training. While in it's service, Fort Polk. He started Polk to display, Saturday. while in the service, he, Dean started to display the first signs of flagrant homosexuality. Yeah, I, what was he? What was he? Going to musicals all the time, or what? I, mean, I don't know. He was later assigned. I don't know. Did he start dressing nicer? What did he do? I mean, I made sure his uniform was pressed I, night tight, tightly. I, or what? I don't know. Probably had a shirt like yours. <laughs> While in the service, that was a pretty good one for them. While in the service, he started this. All right, I already said that. He was later assigned to Fort Benning, Georgia. I know you're familiar with Fort Benning, Georgia. I have spent many a weekend in Fort Benning, Georgia. Yeah, before his permanent assignment to Fort Hood, Texas, as a radio repairman. Now, let me tell you what happened to me in Fort Hood. All right. Well, go ahead with all the story. It's not a great one. Have you been to Fort Hood? Okay. Have you actually been to Fort Hood? I've been to Fort Hood, yeah. Okay. Well, Dean reportedly hated the military service. He'd been in the military. He applied for a hardship discharge on the grounds that he was needed for the family business. Plus, he had the, you know, he had the heart ailment. So he was given an honorable military discharge on June 11, 1965, after 10 months of service. So he served his country for 10 months. Brandy? What? Thank you for your service. Oh, thank you for your service. I don't know the 10 months warrants, so thank you. Yeah. Evidently, three months does. Yes. <laughs> three months warrants a pension and all kinds of shit. All right. right. So following his honorable discharge from the Army, Carell returned to Houston and returned to the position he held as vice president of the family's candy business. So he's back as VP uh, of the Pop-Tarts, Sweet Tarts. In 1965, shortly after he completed... Mr. Pecan Prince. Yeah. In 1965, shortly after he completed his military service, the Corral Candy Company, as it is now known... Oh, my gosh. ...moved across the street from a... So it was a big move. Yeah, it moved across the street from an elementary school. Oh! Pretty good thinking Mm -hmm. here. Location, location, location. Did not even have to buy a van. He did not have to get a white panel. He was known to give free candy away to local children, and particularly Mm. teenage boys, for Mm. some reason. Uh, He seemed to have a fondness for teenage boys. The family company was also employed a small small workforce, (laughs) and he was uh, seen to behave flirtatiously toward several teenage male employees. He even installed a pool table at the rear of the factory where the uh, youth could uh, play pool and he could uh, interact with them. So he was putting lots of things in the rear. Yeah, 1967. Probably gave him candy. <laughs> in 1967, he befriended David Brooks, who was 12 years old. And this guy becomes uh, accomplice later Integral on. to the story. Yeah, he does. The, he was in the sixth grade then. He was 12 years old and um, uh, was one of the many children that Dean gave free candy to. He also gave him money later on. We'll get into that. But Brooks initially became one of Corell's more uh, many youthful close companions. He, he, hang, he, he was older, but he was hanging around with these teenage boys. It was unseemly, Colonel. That is unseemly. You should yeah. stop doing it. <clears throat> Do you think? See, it, it's people like Dean Corell that are causing this whole bathroom problem. 
Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm not sure about that. They, they go around with candy and they, I don't understand it. I've me. never seen anybody walk with candy in the bathroom. Hmm? I've never seen anybody walk into the bathroom with candy. You know, just the other day, a woman came into the men's bathroom with a hand, with some Pop-Tarts in her hand. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> so he also took the, the the young guys to the the beaches in South Texas. I hear they're lovely. And took them on motorcycle rides. Galveston. Oh, Galveston. And even allowed, um, uh, no no singing, Colonel. Even allowed Brooks. uh, Yeah, barely. For now. Yeah, until this podcast. (laughs) Uh, He was allowed to ride, uh, he let um, Brooks ride the motorcycle himself. So he uh, he would give uh, Brooks money and, and gifts. Brooks' parents were divorced. His father lived in Houston. His mother uh, had relocated to Beaumont, a uh, city about 95, 85 miles east of They're not Houston. Allowed, no, they are allowed to dance there. The Beaumont? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were allowed yeah. to dance there, weren't they? Yeah, that was, Beaumont was a place. That's where they dance. had the grain the grain store yeah, that yeah. Ren worked at. So Beaumont was progressive. Beaumont is more progressive than the other place in Footloose. In 1970, the Colonel, you were like 20 years, 25 years old by that point. <laughs> I was seven years old, Timmy. <laughs> so well, I wasn't born. <laughs> in 1970, uh, when Brooks was 15, he dropped out of high school and moved to Beaumont to live with his mother. Whenever he visited his father in Houston, though, he would visit Corral, who allowed him to stay at his apartment uh, if he wished to do so. So it was unseemly. Upon uh, Corell's urging, a sexual relationship gradually developed between the two. What do you think about that, Colonel? Well, I guess when he got that feeling, he needed sexual healing, Timmy. Dean paid Brooks to allow him to form fellatio on the youth. uh, And the same year, he moved back to Houston. Hold on. Uh, Hold on. Yeah, he paid him to allow... Dean paid Brooks money so that Dean... So he can give him a blowjob. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to have to try that one at home. Look here, Mr. <laughs> Colonel, before you try that, I'm going to need a 20. <laughs> that's you fucked up. See how that goes? Oh, well, that goes over. Yeah. But, that's but, fucked but up. By the time Brooks dropped out of high school, Carell's mother and half-sister Joyce had moved to Colorado. So he's living in Houston all by himself now with the candy store in 1968. Although he, uh, she often talked to her oldest son on telephone, she never would see him again. Uh, you know, she was probably avoiding him because well, he is creepy. She, afterwards, pervy guy. Afterwards, you know, she protested his. Uh, she she doth protested. She protested. You know, at, well, when you, we get to my boy's innocent. Yeah, but then later on, she 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 is she said that she thought that he probably was responsible for even more murders than he uh, than it is known. But anyway, following the closure of the candy company, so the you know it, it was they had a little recession there in the late sixties, and candy was uh, you know candy company went under. It was good run while it lasted. Yeah, uh, so you know no more milk duds. He took a job as an electrician at the Houston Lighting and Power Company, where he tested uh, electric electrical relay systems. But he's still living in Houston. He's got his all of his little friends around. And what happens next, Brandy? So, well. From 1970 to 1973, Corell killed at least 28 people. Wow, he was busy. Well, for how long? How long are you doing? Three years. Three years? Yes. Yeah, he was, I mean, yeah, it was in a short span of time. Yeah. In three years, I ain't done 28 days' work at that place. Yeah. All of his victims were males aged 13 to 20. 
the majority were in their mid-teens. Yeah, he was a sick bastard. You know, uh, he doesn't get the, the he doesn't get the publicity that John Wayne Gacy gets, but he he seems. What are you doing there, Colonel? My water bottle broke on me. I have an idea. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to be sucking on that thing pretty hard. <laughs> Suck a golf ball through a garden hose, he can. All right, what happened? To, what happened to him? The and chrome the... off a, ta- a trailer hitch. That's what it was. All right. Um, most of his victims were abducted from Houston Heights. Um, that was a low-income neighborhood. It was in northwest. It was northwest of downtown Houston. So you're familiar with northwest of downtown northwest Houston, downtown right? Northwest downtown Houston. Yeah. Yeah. it's the opposite of southeast. Yeah. It is. So with most of his abductions, he was assisted by one or both of his teenage accomplices, Elmer Wayne Henley. Clearly, three names. Yeah. Uh, and David Owen Brooks. Yeah. Again, three names. Uh, several victims were friends of one or the other of his accomplices, and two other victims, Billy Balch and Mally Winkle, which those are stupid names, uh, were former employees of the Corral Candy Company. Yeah. So when the you know when the candy company went under, those poor twelve year olds were thrown out of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they should have been, they should have gone they to the coal dis- mine. They were dislocated. Yeah, they, <laughs> they should have gone to the coal mine. They, Business going under, time for you to go down. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Well, and they also could have gotten blowjobs for money. So clearly they were not They, they were not, not entrepreneurs. They yeah. were not entrepreneurial. So, uh, let's see. Corral's victims were typically lured into his windowless panel van <laughs> uh, with an offer of a party or a lift. And then they were driven to his house. And I'm sure he plied them with candy. They were either let's da, 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 da. Uh, they were either applied with alcohol or drugs until they passed out. Mm-hmm. Um, they they were tricked into putting on handcuffs. Casey yeah. did that yeah. too. Or it's s- amazing the number of people to slip on. Well, I'm sorry. They, they go to that. You know, they go to that uh, serial killer. They take that uh, course. The bottom. serial killer academy. Yeah, that's course by course. SKA. Yeah. yeah. SKA. <laughs> Graduated uh, from SKA. Or they were simply grabbed by force. So they were they pulled up, words. open the van, open the van door, pull them in. Well, gone. sometimes you have to do that, but it's, it's better if you can offer them candy to do the uh, uh, hand, handcuff trick. Well, yeah. Uh, let's see. Then they were stripped naked, 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 and tied to either Corel's bread or usually a plywood torture board, where they were sexually assaulted, tortured, and sometimes after several days. Uh, killed by strangulation, or they shot him with a 22 caliber pistol. Their bodies were tied, then tied in plastic sheeting and buried in any one of four places. They'd rented a boat shed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a beach on, was it Bolivar Peninsula? Mm-hmm. Uh, a woodland near uh, Lake Sam Rayburn. Yeah, who was a congressman. Yeah. They named it Lake after him. And, well, his family owned uh, Lakeside Cabin. Um, and then there was Corral's family. Mm-hmm. And then there was a beach in nearby Jefferson County, which, of course, you're familiar with. I know Jefferson County, yeah. Uh, in several instances, Corral forced his victims to phone or write their parents with explanations for their absences in an effort to, you know, quell the parents' fears for their son's safety. Hey, Mom, won't be home for dinner. Yeah. Um, Don't wait up. He also was known to kept key, uh, keepsakes, usually keys, mm-hmm. from his victims. I wonder, why, I wonder if he's ever stored her Pop-Tarts. Fuckers. <laughs> uh, during the years in which he abducted and murdered young men, Carell often changed addresses. However, until he moved to Pasadena in the spring of 73, he always lived in or close to Houston Heights. 
a poor neighborhood where kids can be easily abducted and not go, you know, right. missed. So he killed his first victim. It was an 18-year-old college freshman named Jeffrey Conan uh, on September 25th of 1970. Conan vanished while hitchhiking with another student from the University of Texas to his parents' home in Houston. The Longhorns. He was dropped off alone at the corner of Westheimer Road and South Voss Road near the uptown area of Houston, which, of course, is the Houston. opposite of downtown. Yeah. There you go. Well, you, go, you, 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 have, you can take one of three routes from downtown to that location. Yes. But the interstate, or you can go through town, uh, or you can take the bypass. Well, but this was at the corner of Westheimer Road and South Voss Road. Which Chuck is very familiar. Mm-hmm. He, he knows that corner well. Yeah. So. Used to play on that corner, a stickball on that corner. Mm-hmm. Used to hang out and sing a cappella on that yeah. corner. Yeah. He used to, you used to wave your wiener at people as they <laughs> drove by and ask <laughs> for money, didn't you? All right. So, Carell uh, likely offered to drive Conan to his parents' home. Um, and Conan eventually accepted the lift from him, clearly. Uh, David Brooks led police to the body, to Jeffrey's body, on August 10th of 1973. So yeah. three years later, yeah. this turncoat, you know, mm-hmm. leads, just leads police right there. Yeah. Well, I always knew it was you, Fredo. Uh, the bo- that body was buried at High Island Beach. Okay. Which was not mentioned as one of the four places that they likely buried well, people. Apparently there's five. Apparently there is five. So, don't believe what you read. Yeah, <laughs> forensic science. <laughs> right. Did you get this shit off the internet? <laughs> no, no, actually, I, I I flew down to Houston at the court <laughs> records. <laughs> forensic scientists subsequently deduced that the youth had died from asphyxiation caused by manual strangula- strangulation. And that means it stops you from breathing. Well, and manual strangula- strangulation means the stuff with your hands. Yes. Thank you no, for that. No, no, no. It's not necessarily true. Can I you commit care. suicide? You use a rope. Can, can you commit suicide by manual strangulation? That's called auto... Erotic. Erotic yeah, yeah, suicidation. Yeah, yeah, but that's... Okay. But th- that's with a rope. I mean, gr- actually grabbing yourself and choking yourself to death. No, because you pass out eventually, and then you can breathe again. Hey, you know what? I got a niece. She's crazier in hell. No. She, when she I'm, get I'm mad, she'd be a little kid. No, she would throw a fit and hold her breath till she passed out. That's awesome. No. What's, here's the beauty of this. She, she slowed down. She got a little. Uh, she got a little uh, one-year-old boy. Not even one-year-old. Six-month-old boy, Jackson. Yeah. My great nephew, wonderful boy, and uh, that little son bitch get mad. He hold his breath till he passes out. Good God! It must be a genetic thing. Yeah. So you can't strangle yourself to death by your hands. No. With you your can't. own hands, you can't. No. We need to try that, Colonel. You could be the first. Go <laughs> no team. <laughs> Uh, so he also had a cloth ga- gag placed in his mouth. Stop it, Colonel. <laughs> the body was found buried underneath layers, a layer of lime. <laughs> when are you going to pass out? Because I'm going to wait for that. <laughs> you can't do it. I tried. You just, I gave it a shot for you, Timmy. Thank you, Colonel. All right. So the body was found buried beneath a layer of lime. It was wrapped in plastic. He was naked. And bound hand and foot, suggesting that he had also been violated. Oh, you mean sexually violated? I think that's what you mean here, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My guess is, yes, that's what you mean. All right. 
Uh, around the time of Conan's murder, David Brooke interrupted Coral in the act of assaulting two teenage boys whom he'd strapped to a plywood torture board. Yeah, this torture board thing was creepy. Well, mm-hmm. Coral promised Brooks a car in return for his silence, so clearly you're quiet at that point because you want a car. Was, uh, yeah. now, this man was what we would call in the business a sexual sadist. A predator? What business is that, Colonel? Um, what the, business would you call The criminologist a business. It's a business that you're not in. Myself and Allie, we would call him a sexual sadist. He, uh, yeah, you can't call him anything. He... Try choking yourself, Colonel. He enjoyed... Hold on. I, I tried it before, but it just... Here, let me try and choke you, and let's see if I can do it. Okay, okay, Brandy, continue. Okay, but anyway, no. Sexual no. sadist. He, he was sexual talking. sadist, and he had, he had the... Uh, <laughs> he had the... Uh, the torture board. Yeah. So he could inflict pain upon these, upon these poor children... As he, what? because it was the only way he could get sexual gratification is if they were in pain. Well, thanks for that insight, Doctor that. Phil. No shit. Well, I don't Jesus know if H. you know. Christ, <laughs> he was trying to break it down so you could understand <laughs> it. I just want I you to get so. a better feel for who this. You know, man that's like was. Timmy doing a recap after every fucking sentence. <laughs> I think we got it. All right. So he promised him a car. Right. Uh, this is uh, Brooks. Yes, Carl promised Brooks a car. Mm-hmm. Brooks accepted the offer. And Carl brought him, bought him a Chevy, a Chevy Corvette. Uh, Holy uh, shit! How many green, times you got to take it in the back end to get a? Well, no, he was just quiet about him yeah, torturing and, those kids. And he he agreed to procure <coughs> more kids for him. So, mm-hmm. but he must have had some. Yeah, I got to get to that. He must have had some money though. To be able well, to go well, a candy shop. Yeah, well, it went under. Um, Sales were flat for Tootsie Rolls. Apparently, apparently, Brooks was. <laughs> Brooks was later told by Carell that the two youths had been murdered, but he offered Brooks $200 for any boy that he could lure to Corral's apartment. See, you know what I don't get about this story is, okay, I can see you, 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 I can see you have one sick motherfucker who goes There's around. three of them here. I know. How do they all I come I think together? they're all touched. I don't think it's any, I think they're all touched. I mean, how do they, you know, how do they meet up? You know what I mean? Yeah. How, how do they all? I know. But I think it's they're all. I think they're all touched. Yeah. I think you've just got one that's less touched than the other ones, and he just leads them yeah, around. I guess. So uh, let's see. On December fifteenth, nineteen seventy, which was ten days before Christmas. Yes, and that was uh, uh, nineteen seventy. That was uh, Colonel was twenty three. Yes, I was seven and, years old. And Corell got an early birthday present when David Brooks lured two fourteen year old boys named well, James. Was really, an early Christmas present. Or early Christmas. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Named James. Well, it was both because his birthday's on December twenty fourth. Well, it's fuck. Gonna be and it's or. a twofer. It's and or. It's a twofer. Because you know he had the problem of having his birthday right I before Christmas. I hate that shit. I always thought that would be the neatest thing because you get double birthday presents, but you don't. No, you don't. know. They never even out. No, it's it's you get the same number of presents. Half of them are for your birthday. My, my birthday. I paid four dollars for this thing. Why are you putting your oh, fingers? I always get screwed. I always shot. get screwed on Mother's Day. Because my birthday's right around Mother's Day. Yeah. And so it's always, well, here, you know, I got you this for, you know, birthday slash Mother's Day. Well, no, motherfucker, that's two different presents that you need to be getting me. That's okay. I'm going to get you some Pop-Tarts. I would <laughs> appreciate that. So anyway, so for Christmas slash birthday, yeah. whatever, uh, David, Bro- David Brooks brought in James Glass and Danny Yates. Uh, he took them away from a religious rally that was <laughs> held near Houston Heights. 
to uh, Corral's Yorktown apartment. So clearly, well, that they did not all into the rally. That day did not go as planned, obviously. Glass was an acquaintance of Brooks, who, at Brooks' behest, had previously visited Corral's apartment. So I would think he'd know what he was getting into. Yeah, when you see that torture uh, it's a, table. It's a giveaway. Yeah. Have you seen the torture table on there? It's a spooky-looking uh, yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what I said. It's creepy. Uh, but I mean, but this, guy, on it. But this guy went back. He'd been there one time, and now this dumb son bitch is going well, back. Maybe he thought he, you know, he changed. You suck one dick, and you're just going to keep on keeping on, aren't you? Crime in Italy. All right, so uh, both youths were tied to youths were tied to the opposite sides of Corell's torture board. And subsequently raped, strangled, and buried in a boat shed Corell had rented. So one is on each side of the board. Yes, that would be mm-hmm. strapped to opposite sides. It's Thanks all- for clearing that up for our <laughs> listeners. Well, they'd be back to back. It's like victim roulette. You yeah. just spin the board. And- no, but you know, I think the bottom one would get squished when you're doing. No, stuff. it was. No, it was, it was elevated. It was uh, it was stood up straight. Yeah. The board was stood uh, up yeah, straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, like, I don't like any case. part of that. Okay, yeah. he could move the board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, could, they could lay it parallel. I guess. He did actually on his last ones lay it down. Yeah, with a girl. So six weeks after the double murder of Glass and Yates on January thirtieth, nineteen seventy-one, Happy New Year, Brooks and Crowell encountered two teenage brothers named Donald and Jerry Waldrop walking to a bowling alley. Both boys were enticed into Crowell's van. He must have a bunch of puppies, <laughs> and were driven to an apartment that Crowell had moved into at on Magnum Road, which clearly you're familiar with. Oh yeah, Magnum. Yeah. Where they were um, little bitty magnums. That's why I go get my condoms. Bitty magnum magnum at the bitty magnum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Store, uh, where they were raped, tortured, and strangled before Brooks and Corral buried them in, in the boat shed. Boat shed's getting a lot of action here. Mm-hmm. Between March and May of 1971, which is right around Tim's birthday, he was 25, Corral killed... No, I was only alone. Corral yeah, killed Finn. three more boys between the ages of 13 and 16, uh, as with the Waldrop brothers, all lived in Houston Heights. Yeah, all from poor neighborhoods. 
Two of these victims, David Hillegeist and Mally Winkle, were abducted and killed together on the afternoon of May 29, 1971. As been the case with parents of the other victims of Corell, both sets of parents launched a frantic search for their sons. One of the Utes who voluntarily offered to distribute posters the parents had printed offering a reward for information uh, was 15-year-old Elmer Wayne Hensley, a lifelong friend of Hillegeist. Uh, the youth pinned the posters around the heights and attempted to reassure Hillegeist's mother that there may be an innocent ex- explanation for the boy's absence. On August 17, 1971, Correll and Brooks encountered a 17-year-old acquaintance of Brooks named Reuben Watson walking home from a movie theater in Houston. Uh, Brooks persuaded Watson to attend a party at Correll's address. Party in quotation marks. The youth agreed and was taken to Correll's home, where he was subsequently strangled and buried in the boat shed. That's not much of a party. Doesn't seem seems like a bummer. I hope they ought to have some good hors d'oeuvres there, because if you're going to rape me and strangle me, at least give me some At least have some crack puffs. Well, they should have have little party hats. Yeah. Those little tiny sandwiches? Give me a couple little tiny sandwiches. sandwiches. Yeah. (laughs) All right. In the winter of 1971, Brooks introduced Elmer Wayne Hensley to Dean Carell. Oh, it's Henley. I'm sorry. Henley may have been lured to Carell's address as an intended victim. However... Uh, Corral de- eventually decided that Henley would make a good accomplice and right. offered him the same fee. <laughs> he had, a, he had yeah. an eye for talent. Uh, mm-hmm. well, yeah. he was about, uh, instead, of, instead of killing you, I'm yeah. going to hire you. Back before Donald Trump do. did The Apprentice, there <laughs> yeah. was Dean Corral. <laughs> yeah. All right, so same same deal. $200 for any boy who could get to the apartment. Um, now, see, that created a little competition between Brooks and Henley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, you know what? That's probably written down somewhere on here, but you fucking killed it. So, but you know, this is why I don't believe that capitalism really works all that effectively, because eventually they would have got each other down to like okay, twenty five dollars a victim. Yeah, but see, they was they had they had a monopoly. That's why they had to well, break no, up. You just bring the more and more and more. Yeah, the simple, there's an unlimited supply. So they was price fixing. Yeah, they really were. They were price fixing. All right, it, it was a monopoly. Okay. So he informed Henley that he Correll, they, they were colluding. Yeah, Correll informed Henley that he was involved in a sexual slavery ring operated operating from Dallas. Well, he was true. It, he was telling the truth. It was a sexual slavery ring, but it was, but it was around his apartment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his house. This is his house. Um, Henley accepted Correll's offer and initially participated in the abduction of victims. But then later, he actively participated in many of the killings. Yeah, Henley really got into it, whereas Brooks According to Henley... ...was less active. Yeah, I think they're all slow. Well, yeah, they're all guilty, but I'm, I'm just saying Henley was became more sadistic. He became more like uh, Correll. Uh, according to Henley, the first abduction he participated in occurred at 925 Schuler Street... Girl. What the fuck? <laughs> Girl, you Schuler Street. 925. Can you look that up on Google Maps? Yeah. Let's check that out. Uh, an address that Carell had moved to in February of 1972. Although Brooks later claimed that Henley became involved in the abductions of victims while Carell resided at an address he occupied prior to Schuler. Who gives a shit? Uh, if Henley's statement, I am nothing if I'm not detailed. God guess. <laughs> if Henley's statement is to be believed, the victim was abducted from the heights in February or early March of 1972. 
Uh, our readers can go on Google Maps and look up the location. Our readers, we don't have readers. Our listeners, they can go into Google Maps, look it up, look at the location, and get a good feel for where these, these events took place. I'm trying. I'm thinking of the listener here when I'm writing. I'm not thinking of you. Apparently, you ain't. I got like I, 13 pages over here. Yeah, and apparently, you don't give a shit about our listeners because you keep <laughs> yeah. giving Chuck all this information. <laughs> In the statement Henley gave to police following his arrest, the youth stated that he and Corral picked up a youth at the corner of 11th and Stewood. Again. 11th and Stewood? You that's, that now, that's a busy too. intersection. How are you going to go? Right down the street from 12th and Stewart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and they That's lured, a busy street. How you going to do that? Well, they lured him to Corral's intersection on the promise of smoking some of the weed. Not the devil's... See, kids, now listen here. Gotcha. Listen here. Somebody approach you and say, I got some of the devil's lettuce. I want to smoke some weed. I want to smoke some with reefer with you. Haven't you seen the show Reefer Madness? What you're going to get is sodomized, strangulated, and buried in a, in a boathouse. You should never go anywhere with anybody... In a panel van. <laughs> yeah, well, not really. As a rule of thumb, stay away from panel vans. Right. Yeah. But if you're going to get in a panel van, you got to admit, someone Smoking offering you weed. weed is probably it's about the best you can, best deal you're going to get. Well, then get. you're in the mystery machine. Then you're going to solve mysteries, <laughs> well, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. So, uh, Henley duped the youth into donning a pair of... Duped him. Yeah. Oh, that you're duped like my son of a bitch. You like my turn of phrase. Your turn of phrase. <laughs> he duped him... Into donning a pair of handcuffs. Donning like reading either. Shakespeare. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, before leaving him alone with Corral. What handcuffs does thee don? Evidently, this is some shit. I bet they're not the fuzzy kind either. I bet, I bet they were serious. It was a hard nickel-plated yeah. kind. Yeah. Uh, the identity of this victim is not conclusively known. What? Yeah. It must have okay. tortured the shit out Although of it's one. possible that the Ute was Willard Branch, a 17-year-old casual acquaintance of Henley and Brooks, who disappeared on February 9th of 1972 and was buried where? Anyone? Anyone? In the boat house. In the boat shed. There we go. Did they even have a fucking boat in there? I don't think so. I think it was just like a hangout spot. That's some bitch. That boat, they must have called it the SS Minnow because when you got on it, you just disappeared it was forever. It a canoe. Okay. <laughs> it was um, a blow-up raft. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually it was just more one of those little rings, those little <laughs> plastic rings that they kept in there. A life jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, one month later, on March 24th, 1972, Henley, Brooks, and Carell encountered an 18-year-old acquaintance of Henley. These motherfuckers know everybody. An 18-year-old acquaintance of Henley's named Frank Anthony Augire. Well, come on. You're offering a 17, 18-year-old boy's weed. You're, I mean, you're going to get a lot of... Oh, they're going to skip into the van. Yeah. You wouldn't mm-hmm. even put on handcuffs for this yeah. shit? All right. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's, uh, I'll give you a bag of Doritos easy. if you do that. <laughs> easy pickings. All right. So this poor guy was leaving a restaurant on Yale Street where he worked. Henley called Henley called Allgaier over to Carell's van. Yeah. And invited the youth to Carl's apartment on the promise that he could drink beer and smoke marijuana with the trio. Oh, the devil's lettuce again. Yeah, and the devil's brew. Uh, Algar agreed and followed the pair to Carl's home uh, in his Rambler. Oh, I love the Rambler. He's a Rambler man. Made a lot <laughs> Lord, of he was born a Rambler man. <laughs> inside inside Carl's house, Algar was given marijuana. Jesus Christ, and then tricked into donning a pair of handcuffs. (laughs) I want to know what the trick is here. Okay, put your hands out. I'm going to teach you a trick. (laughs) Close your eyes, put your hands out. But it sounds like when you say that he was tricked into donning, it sounds like they put him on it, they 
he put him on himself. Is what? That's, it sounds yeah, like. that's what they did. The, that's what it sounds just like. Put these on, and you can have pot. But we just want to make sure you don't hurt yourself. Yeah, not in all of them. Some of them, the the, the uh, boys had passed out, and then they woke up with handcuffs on. Oh, uh, let's they see. They woke up with more than handcuffs on. So he was tricked into donning a pair of handcuffs before Corral pounced on the youth. Am I using the word donning a bit too much? Yes. Henry, I'm going to change it up when I see it. Any thesaurus. Henry left Agar alone with Corral. Henry huh? later claimed to have discovered Corral torturing the youth, upon which Corral informed him that he had raped, tortured, and killed the previous victim. He had assisted in abducting and that he, was, he had intended to do the same with this kid. Henley was again paid for luring the victim to Krell's home and subsequently assisted Krell and Brooks in Augier's burial at High Island Beach. (coughs) Despite the revelations that Krell was, in reality, killing the boys whom him and Brooks had assisted in abducting... Well, the guy's a real cockwomble. I just want to say that. Oh, good, good. Uh, Yes. He had a thing for teenage boy cockwomble. He did. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hmm? Sorry, you guys could have filled in that silence while I was drinking because I'm sorry, my throat got dry. But that's all right. I'm good. He enrobed them into handcuffs. Okay. What? No, enrobed. it's too late now. I've I've had my drink. The silence is over. Put on, wear, dress. I'm, I'm giving this. I'm giving these synonyms for. So Henley became dying. an active participant in the abduction and the murders. Within a month, on April 20th, 1972, he assisted Krell in the abduction of another Ute, a 17-year-old friend of his named Mark Scott. Finally a normal name. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Scott was grabbed by force and fought furiously against attempts by Krell to secure him to the torture board, even attempting to stab uh, his attackers. Scott, we don't give the ass up easy. No, we do not. Uh, however, Scott saw Henley point a gun toward him, and according to Brooks... Then we give up the ass. Mark you just, just gave up. Yeah. You, you uh, show us a gun, we're like, we're spreading. Scott was tied to the torture board and suffered the same fate as Augire. Rape, torture, strangulation, and buried at at Highland, High Island Beach. According to Brooks, Henley was especially sadistic with his participation in the murders committed at 925 Schuler. Uh, before Corral vacated the address on June 26th, Henry assisted Corral and Brooks in the abduction and murder of two Utes named Billy Balch and Johnny DeLone. In Brooks's confession, he stated that both youths were tied to Corral's bed, and after their torture and rape, Henley manually strangled Balch, then shouted, Hey, Johnny, and shot DeLone in the forehead with the bullet exiting through the youth's ear. Uh, DeLone then pleaded with Henley, Wayne, please don't, before he too was strangled. Yeah, Henley was a real cockwombo. Uh, during the time Corral lived at Schuler, the, tr- the trio lured a 17-year-old youth named Billy Rittinger to the house. Rittinger was tied to the plywood board, tortured and abused by Corral. Brooks later claimed he, was persu- he persuaded Corral to allow Rittinger to be released and the youth was allowed to leave the residence. On another occasion at Schuller, Henley knocked Brooks unconscious as he left Damn. as he entered the home. Corral then tied Brooks to his bed and assaulted the youth, the youth repeatedly before releasing him. Yes, even he's, even Brooks is getting abused by. Him. Despite the assault, Brooks continued to assist Corral. In, well, two hundred bucks is two hundred bucks. It's his job. I mean, it's his job. Plus, he, he has an obligation job. because of the car. That's true. Uh, let's see. He got a Corvette. He didn't get a Rambler. 
After vacating the Shuler residence, Carl moved into a par- to an apartment at Westcott Towers, where he is known to have killed uh, a further four victims. The first victim was Stephen Sickman. Uh, he was killed on July 20th. Two further boys were abducted and murdered on October 3rd, and a 19-year-old youth named Richard Kepner was murdered on November 12th. All like together, every month or two. Altogether, a minimum of nine teenagers between the ages of 13 and 19 were murdered between February and November of 1972, five of whom were buried at High Island Beach and four inside where? The boathouse. The boathouse. It's a shed. It's more of a shed. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, on January 20th, 19... 19- I'm, I'm very humble. I come from very humble beginnings. It's a house to me. Oh, okay. Well, on January 20th, 1973, Carell moved to the address on Wirt Road in the Spring Branch District of Houston. Within two weeks of moving into the address, he had killed a 17-year-old youth named Joseph Lyles, Joseph Lyles before vacating the apartment mm-hmm. and moving to 2020 Lamar Drive in Pasadena on March 7th. No known victims were killed from February to June 3rd of 1973. Um, well, clearly because he didn't have his helpers with him. And I think he was he he was ill during that time. Carell had some sort of ear. Yeah, problem. although he was known to have suffered from hydro. Is it hydrocephaly? Is that what you were trying to say? Uh, he was a big old waterhead boy. Hydrocephaly. Well, hydrocephaly. No, that's he not what it says here. Head. I had to make up the word. He got the big head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, here's the thing. Hydro-C-E-L-E. What would you say that is? Hydro-C-E-L-E. You break in my heart. Okay. You're don't shaking. sing, don't sing, don't sing. Oh, Paul Simon got me uh, Which may account for the sudden lull and killings. Yeah, he had some Whatever health issues. Whatever he had. He had some health issues. Yes. It, 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 it kind Which of could have been made more clear by our producer, although I don't think he knew how to spell it, and so he just put down whatever kind of words he could find. <laughs> Between June 4th and July 7th, 1973, a further three victims were murdered and buried at Lake Sam, Ray- at Lake Sam Rayburn, and on July 12th, a 17-year-old youth named John Sellers was murdered and buried at High Island Beach. Why? He was out in Pasadena. He was, they were, they had four locations. Or did they come back? Did he right. come back and murder them? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In July of 1973, David Brooks married his pregnant fiance. Aw. Yeah. And Henley temporarily. Mazel Tov, yes. Henley temporarily became Carell's sole procurer of victims. So now, Colonel, he's, he's the only man, he's the only business in town. Yeah. According to Henley, these three abductions. He's market, were, he cornered a market. He did have it. He he was a monopoly. Yeah. According to Henley, these three abductions were the only three that occurred after his becoming accomplice to Carell, in which David Brooks was not a participant. One of these three victims was buried at Lake Sam Sam Rayburn, and the other two that were abducted together on July 25th were buried at the boathouse. At the boathouse. On August 3rd, 1973, Carell killed his last victim, a 13-year-old boy from South Houston named James Dramala. Dramala was abducted while riding his bike in Pasadena and driven to Carell's home where he was tied to Carell's torture board, raped and strangled with a cord before being buried in the... Boathouse. Boathouse. David Brooks later described Dramala as a small blonde boy whom he bought pizza Hmm. before the youth was attacked. Pizza and marijuana... So that was the last. That yeah. was his last now, victim. Now, what we what we normally talk about is the arrest, apprehension, and com- trial and conviction. But this story has a twist. So tell us about the twist, Colonel. 
Well, the twist is that, you know, Benjamin Franklin said you could keep a secret mm-hmm. with three people mm-hmm. if he killed two of them. Right. He was so wise. And that's where he came into it. Yeah. Now, on the evening of <clears throat> August 7, he, Benjamin Franklin used to get a lot of tail. He got the syphilis, too, Timmy. Yeah, but he got a lot. Well, you know, some, you know, that's the price of doing business. Yeah, but he got the syphilis and the gonorrhea. Mm. So anyway, in the year of our Lord, 1973, um, Henley, age 17, invited a 19-year-old youth named Timothy Cordell to attend Timothy Cordell Curley. Mm-hmm. To attend a party at Coral's Pasadena home. Boy, there are a lot of partying going on there. Oh, party central. It was party central. So anyway, Coralie, who was intended to be Coral's next victim, he accepted the offer. David Brooks was nowhere to be found at this time. Mm-hmm. Now, the two youths arrived at the house, sniffed some paint fumes, as you know. Mm-hmm. As we are wont to do. we all want to do. Mm-hmm. Drank some alcohol yeah. until midnight before leaving the house to purchase... Purchase what? what some they? sandwiches. Okay. They wanted to buy some sandwiches. Didn't they want to go to Jack in the Box? Were they loose meat sandwiches? I don't uh, understand. <laughs> they just needed a sandwich. Okay. Okay. Sometimes you need a sandwich. Yeah, I mean, well, have you ever sniffed paint fumes? Yeah, well. It gives you the munchies. Yeah. It gives you a wicked ass headache, but it gives you the munchies. It also eats your brain, but well, you become yeah. addicted. You have to watch sniffing paint. You can't become addicted. You become an We're idiot. worried right now about... Um, should we have the intervention now on the air? Or Here's the thing. You keep sniffing paint. You know what happens? Time I mean, you're middle-aged, you're sitting around doing podcasts. <laughs> That's what that. You know what we well, used to do? You're writing this shit, I can tell you that. We used to, and this is a true story, we used to take uh, Pam. Yeah. You know that spray yeah. on Pam? Mm-hmm. Spray it into plastic baggies and mm-hmm. inhale it. Huff it. Yeah. We did that shit all the time. That's not good for your brain. I turned out fine. Anyway... They went to get the sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Now, Henley, Henley and Curly. If they got uh, salami on rye. <laughs> they, got the, they was about to get the corned beef. I thought um, they got the foot long. The pastrami foot long. <clears throat> All right, so ahead. anyway, Henley and Curly drove back to Houston Heights, and Curly parked his vehicle close to Henley's home. Mm-hmm. Here's where it gets tricky, Timmy. It's very clever of him to do that. Henley exits the vehicle and walks toward the home of 15-year-old Rhonda Williams, who had been beaten by her drunken father that evening. Yeah, this poor kid. It's, it's, now, this first female that comes along in this story. Yeah. And she decided to temporarily leave home, temporarily leave home until her drunken father became her sober father. Right. It's sort of like a force gump when Jenny got beat up by her dad and they wanted to pretend that they were birds and they could fly far, far away. Yeah. Like so, that. So Henley invites Rhonda but over. Different. A little different. To spend the evening at Coral's home. Okay. Rhonda so, says, okay, and she climbs in the back of Coral's Volkswagen. And they make it to uh, Coral's Pasadena residence. Now, at about 3 a.m., they get there. Okay. Henley and Coral. At night, 3 3 a.m., yeah. (laughs) Henry and Curly arrive back to Curl's home, accompanied by Rhonda Williams. Now, Curl is, he just damn furious. He did not want the young teenage girl around. No, he pulled him aside and he said, what I tell you, bros before hoes. Yes. I don't know if he said that. She does not have a penis. He said, titties ruin everything. Tell me about it. And, uh... 
So he met. But Henley explained to Williams that argue with her father that evening did not wish to return well, home. He wanted a sausage fest. So Coro, he seemed to calm down off of the three teenagers some beer and some marijuana. Man. They start drinking, smoking the devil's lettuce. Yeah. The ganja. Yeah. And uh, drinking beer and watching them. And Coro, he just watching them. And after about two hours of drinking and smoking, these lightweights, Henry Curley and Williams, each pass out. Of course, it's five in the morning. Right. Now, Henley awoke to find Quirrell snapping handcuffs onto his wrist. Now, Henley, the one who was his partner there, yeah. now he's getting handcuffed. He's getting handcuffed to the torture board. Mm-hmm. His ankles have been bound together. and uh, You know, if I was Henley, I'd have a hard time falling asleep in that place. I wouldn't. I would sleep with one eye open yeah. and a cork in my ass, but uh, Curly and Williams lay beside Henley. They were both secured and bound with nylon rope and gagged with adhesive tape and laying face down on the floor. Curly had been stripped naked. Without Mo. Now, Curl told Henley that he was so damn pissed that he brought a girl to the house and explained that he was going to kill all three of them after, after of course... He sodomized and tortured Curly. Now, he repeatedly kicked Williams in the stomach, the poor girl, and in the chest, then dragged Henley into the kitchen, placed a 22 caliber pistol against his stomach, threatening to shoot him. Henry Henley calmed down Curl. He says, I, look, I'll, I'll participate in this. I'll kill them all with you. Just don't shoot me in the stomach with that thing. Yeah. A so, reasonable request. Yeah, Curl agreed. He unties Henley. He carries Curly and Williams into his bedroom, ties them to opposite sides of the torture board. Curly on his stomach, Williams on her back. He handed Henley a hunting knife and ordered him to cut away Williams' clothes, insisting that while he would rape and kill Curly, Henry was to rape and kill Williams. Now, Henley began... You nothing to do with the poutine. There's no. a lot of raping and killing going on. Oh, this yeah. is like a hobo convention. Yes. So anyway, Henley began cutting away Williams' clothes as Curl undressed and began to assault and torture Curly. Right, Curly being the boy. Now both Williams and Williams and Curly had awakened by this point. Now Curly wake up. Now I want you to think about this. Mm-hmm. Curly wake up writhing. Mm-hmm. Tied to the board. Yeah, tied to the board and shouting as Williams, who's gagged, uh, Henry removed, lifted a head, asked Henley, is this for real? Which Henley answered, oh yeah, it's for real. And then Williams asked Henley, are you going to do anything about it? He's, so Henley says, well, let me take Rhonda into another room. Now, Curl yeah, ignores had, him. He's a little sweet on her, I think. Yeah, and he well, he ignores her, mm. ignores the question, because he is just and delicate listeners, forgive me here, but Timmy can put things crudely here, but he just pounding away at poor Curly. Curly just taking a pounding. So he all wrapped up in that. He ain't paying no attention. Right. He's... And then all of a sudden, Corell, he ignored Henley, and Corell ignored him, and Henley then grabbed Corell's pistol shouting, you've gone far enough, Dean. To which Dean said, no, I got a good two, three inches. I can still go. He did not but, say that. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, Henley pulls a gun. Now, Henley got the gun, Dean. pointed at Corral. Mm-hmm. 
Corel pulls out, approaches Henley with his little tiny wiener standing in attention and says, Oh yeah, kill me, Wayne. Now Henley stepped back a few paces and Corel keep walking at him. Corel just look at him and says, You won't do it. Henry fired at Corel, hit him right in the damn forehead. <laughs> I love it. But so Corel, he mis- miscalculated that. Corel, being Michael Myers of rapists and sodomizers, continued to lurch toward him. Oh, Jesus, now he's a fucking zombie. Yeah, now Hitler Henley fired another father. He's Rasputin now. Two more <laughs> rounds at him, hitting him in the left shoulder. Corel spun around, staggered out of the room, hit him in the hallway. <laughs> Henley, Henley fired three additional bullets into his lower back as, and shoulder as Corel slid down the wall in the hallway outside the room where the two teenagers were bound. Corel died where he fell, his naked body lying face towards the wall. And uh, after the shooting... Mm-hmm. Henley cut Curly loose and Williams, they got him from the torture board, and all three dressed and discussed what they was going to do. Uh, the first thing Curly said was, go to the refrigerator, get me some ice. I got to sit down on it for a while. That he was no fun. say that. No. Um, <laughs> so, Concerned about the bloody stool. Good yeah. Lord. He complained. He, yeah, he was going to have the bloody stool for quite some time after that action, I suppose. But Henley said... Let's just let it go. Let's get the hell out of here. And Curly's like, oh, no, we got to call the police. So Henley, being the dumb fuck that he was, agreed, looked up the number for the Pasadena Police Department, and called him. At 824, now remember, this has gone on all night. All night. His call was answered. By, and believe it or not, Timmy put the operator, and I'm the, it was in the police operator's name down here. I don't know what... I know. Her name was in the report. Henley blurts out to the operator, y'all better come, y'all better come here right now. I just killed a man. Oh, goodness. Because he was from Texas. He had that funny accent. Y'all better come here right now. I just killed a man. So Henley, Henley, he gives the address to the operator, you know, the address that he lived in. And, uh, so as Curly and Williams and Henley, they're waiting on Curly's porch for the police to arrive. Henley mentioned to Curley that he had done that, killed by shooting mm-hmm. other people four or five times. A few minutes later, the police get there. The three teenagers are all sitting there, <clears throat> and the officer notes that they got a twenty-two caliber pistol in the driveway. Henley informed the officers that the individual who made the call and indu- indicated that Curl was lying dead inside the house. Jeez. After confiscating the pistol and placing Henley, Williams, and Curley inside the patrol car, the officer entered the bungalow and discovered Curl's body dead inside the hallway. The officer returned to his car, read Henley as Miranda writes. In response, Henley shouted, I don't care who knows about it. I have to get it off my chest, you cowardly bastard. Couldn't even keep his mouth shut. But anyway... Curley later informed detectives that before the police officer arrived there, Henry informed him, I could have gotten $200 for you. Yeah. <laughs> like he did him a favor. Yeah. Or they owe him. Yeah, like you owe me something. So, uh, now while he's in custody, Henley explained that for almost three years, he and Brooks had helped procure teenage boys. Some of them were their own friends for Coral, who had raped and murdered them. 
Grove paid $200 for each victim. We know that. And uh, Henley gave a statement admitting that he had assisted Corot in several abductions and murders of teenage boys. Informing police that Crow had buried most of his victims in the in boathouse. There it goes. In southwest Houston. Mm-hmm. And others at Lake Sam Rayburn and High Island Beach. Now, police were a little skeptical of Henley's claims here, assuming the sole homicide in this case was that of Coral, which see, they ascribed I, to being the result if of... I, if you see the torture board there, I, I mean, I would give it a little credence to their report. I would think sure. maybe they they had they was on to something, but uh, they believed that it was, and this is Timmy's words... Corell's death was a result of drug-fueled fisticuffs that had turned deadly. Fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. Drug-fueled fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. Sometimes drug-fueled fisticuffs does turn deadly. Well, you know. But Henley was quite insistent, however, that upon and upon his recalling the names of three boys, Cobble, Pillagist, and Jones. That's when they knew. And who was Jones's mother? Mrs. Mrs. Jones. Mythic. Mythic Jones. Jones. Mythic Jones. Um, Mythic Jones. He and David Brooks had procured for Coral. The police accepted that there was something to the claims, as all three teenagers were listed as missing. Now, David uh, Hildegeist Mm -hmm. had been reported missing in summer 71. Other two boys had been just disappearing for a couple weeks, disappeared for a couple weeks. Moreover, the floor of the room where the three teenagers had been tied was covered in thick plastic sheeting. Now, that's a serial killer. Yeah, that's right a there. sign. They, you they got thick plastic sheeting. T.S. Uh, serial killer. <clears throat> T.S.K. Academy. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, also found at Coral's address were a large hunting knife. Mm-hmm. Rolls Could be of, used for hunting or killing human beings. Either way. Mm-hmm. Um Cleaning your fingernails, clean out the, cleaning out the lint in your toenails. Mm-hmm. Um, rolls of clear plastic tape of the same kind used to cover the floors. Mm-hmm. A portable radio rigged to a pair of dry cells to give increased Oof. volume. And a number of dildos. Do thin. Have, do we know how many? How many? A number. We do not know how many. There were thin glass tubes, and do you know what the thin glass tubes were for, Timmy? Smoke and crack. No, 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 no. Are they dildos? No, 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 no. What were they for, Colonel? Uh, are they for the urethra? They were for the urethra. Oh. You slide a thin glass rod oh. down in the urethra, ah, and you yeah. hit it with your hand. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. He was very... We did not get into into this uh, podcast because it was so disgusting. Yeah. He was very creative in the way he would figure out ways to torture. And he would, often when he would be done raping a boy, when he would get his own sexual satisfaction, just to uh, hear them... He was a cock rumble. He was a cock rumble, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, He would use, he had this large collection of dildos that he would... uh, Force entry into these young men, oh. and it, I imagine I could imagine it was quite painful. And then he would use the rod trick, um, so he would use the hunting knife to leave cuts and marks and burns and whatnot on them. And 
He was a sick son of a bitch. I yeah. mean, he was he was one of the most vile men that ever, you know. Mm-hmm. You got to kill somebody, kill somebody. I mean, some of the people just got to There's come. no reason to torture him. I do want it noted, however, on a side note, that there is a book here that I'm looking at called Unicorn Vengeance. I'm just saying that that book is out in the world. And we should all go pick it up. Well, you know, you never want to be gored by a unicorn. So, Colonel, tell us what happens next. What? You know what? You don't have any room. Well, the Ford Econoline van belonging to Coral parked in the driveway conveyed similar clues. Hmm. The rear windows were sealed by opaque blue curtains. Hmm. In the rear of the vehicle, vehicle... Police found a coil of rope, a swash of baggage rug covered in soil stains, and a wooden crate with air holes drilled in the side. The pegboard walls inside the rear of the van were rigged with several rings and hooks. Mm. So there was his own little, it was his mo- torture mo- mobile torture bondage machine. Yeah, yeah torture mobile. And, uh, Handle vans, bad scene. Yeah, there ain't nobody wants it. So anyway, another wooden crate with air holes was also found in uh, his backyard. Inside this crate were several strands of human hair. Now, Henley agreed to accompany the police to Crell's boat shed in southwest Houston, where he claimed the bodies of most of the victims could be found. Once they got to the boat shed, started digging. They had empty bags of lime, a box full of teenage boys' clothing. Um, They start digging. They start finding bodies. So most of the bodies found were wrapped in thick, clear plastic sheeting. Some of them had been shot, others strangled. Um, sometimes the literature, the rope was still around their necks. I wonder if he was related to Myra Henley. I think his name is spelled differently. That I do not know, Timmy. I wonder if he was related to Don Henley. <laughs> oh I wonder if God. he was related to the inventor of the Henley shirt, for Christ's sake. Do not sake. speak of Don Henley. <laughs> I'm talking about Myra Henley... Well, I believe Don Henley. Now, here's a funny thing. You know, fact. I talk about Don Henley. Coincidence. Let me tell you something, something Come on, crazy we gotta, here, though. we got to wrap this no. up. We, said, we just spoke about Beaumont, Texas. You know where Don Henley from? Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont, Texas. It's amazing. He and Don dance. Henley. It all comes together. He can it's dance so, there. There was so much synergy in his podcast. Don Henley wrote a song called The End of Innocence, and when Correll had you wrapped and tied to that board, it was The End of Innocence for you. So anyway... Why are you giving me the wrap it up thing here? We're two hours into this fucking thing. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Accompanied by his father, Brooks presented himself at the Houston police station on the evening, and he gave presented a statement. Presented himself how? Um, Wainer out? This is a two-hour podcast. Yeah, so he... he it, Henley starts spilling his guts. Um, they start recovering bodies everywhere. They They... I believe they... Eventually came up with uh, about twenty two bodies. Was it Timmy? Yeah, it's twenty eight. Twenty eight. But they think that he they they, they yeah twenty eight bodies. There could be more. Um, now Henley since, or uh, Carell's mother thinks that there were more. Henley and Brooks, they was you know accompanied through through this. They they go to trial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's time of the killing spree it was the worst case of serial no- murder and numbers of victims in the United States, exceeding the 25 murders of Juan Corona from California. So, it was called the Houston Mass Murders, as they became known, and hit the headlines all over the world. Even the Pope, the Pope, the man with the cool hat, commented on the atrocious nature of the crimes. I do love his hat. And offered sympathy to the relatives who had died. 
Police were inundated with inquiries regarding missing boys from parents across the United States. Now, the trial of Hindley and Roberts, since they both pretty much confessed everything, um, they were tried separately. Hindley was brought to trial. He was charged with six murders. Prosecution called dozens of witnesses, um, and he was he was pretty much found guilty on that because it was pretty much cut and dry. He confessed that he uh, tied people to the board. He watched people get assaulted, shot to death, um, whatever. So he, you know, and then they had the other trial. So the upshot of this was Henley appealed um, his and won the appeal when he was tried again. And he was convicted of the six murders. And he was sentenced to six consecutive 99-year terms. Okay, so he's going to be in jail for 594 years. I don't think he's going to be in jail that long time. Well, I'm just saying. Now, David Brooks, um, he was brought to trial in 1975. He'd been indicted for four murders, and he was, this was another one. It was pretty much cut and dry. They had all the evidence. The jury only deliberated for 99 uh, minutes before they reached a verdict. But Brooks only got one 99-year sentence. So it seems a little unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, Brooks and Henley are both serving their time in prison right now. In, down in Texas. Down in Texas. And uh, Corral, Coral, he's uh, he rotting away. Okay. Somebody, if, if there And again, he didn't really get colonel justice. Because if he would have got colonel justice, someone would have tied him to the torture board, mm-hmm. um, taken a... Remember those old milk bottles, Timmy? Yeah. Shoved one of those old glass milk bottles down as you read, mm. Yeah. No, I don't think that happened. Cracked it with a baseball bat. It's so gross. And uh, No, he did actually do that. Did those little... You know those little thin Bika stirring rods? No, I believe that. You said a milk bottle, which... Well, you have to push real hard. I would, with, I um, would say... Have you ever yeah. had a catheter? Huh? Have you ever no, had a but, catheter? Because uh, 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 I have. Um, They're uncomfortable. Quick funny story. My brother no, it's had, not ever a quick funny had story. A, had a uh, had Lou Gehrig's disease. He's ALS. Dead. He's dead. He could not speak. ALS. And dead. I thought it would be funny. My brother's in the hospital. And he, he's not doing real well. He thought it'd be funny. <laughs> and the doctor comes in and he my, now clearly my brother can't talk and he's not communicating well. And the doctor says, what, what is he saying? And I said to, to the doctor, I said, my brother's saying he can't pee. And my brother's looking at me like, no, no, no. And he's giving this wave enhancing. And the doctor's like, he's not urinating? I was like, no, doctor, he's not urinating at all. He said, well, I get, we can order a catheter and fix that. And I said, well, I believe that, you know, that's one of his problems is he's not passing urine. It's like, well, we'll do some kidnapping. Now, my brother can't talk. It's a true story. My brother can't talk at all. He's waving his hands, acting crazy, acting like everything, you know. And uh, they catheterized my brother. <laughs> they gave him a catheter. I had to have one. My brother it's very picked convenient. on me when he was a little kid, when I was a little and so kid. You so you had somebody shove things in his dick to get back at him when he was helpless. That's hilarious. What the fuck is wrong with you? And this? I'm not. I'm no longer going to participate in the Ice Buckets Challenge for you. Well, no. Because you were a big participator It, it turned out that uh, that the catheter was of great assistance to him because he was uh, 
going into kidney failure anyway, but he didn't need the catheter at that time. Well, they are very, they're very handy. But he, uh, but as I was telling the doctor, my brother was not urinating. It was just comical to because my brother actually was having other problems. It kind of affected of cognitive. He had an infection that was in, impaired him cognitively, but he was clear enough to understand that it's I was telling this Walters. doctor to shove this tube down his tallywhacker. And, well, yeah, I, th- I would think that at no point are you that And my brother was like, that just imagine plan. having your mouth duct taped, you know, and mm-hmm. my brother's like waving to the doctor like, he lying, he lying, you know. He, my brother, he, he didn't he didn't have the disease long enough to learn how to sign or nothing other than give me the finger or wave bye-bye or whatever he did. So Brandy, yes. What's your th- story about being catheterized? Oh, I had a C-section. Oh, how was it? Horrible. I'm sorry. It was, was it worse than not having pop tarts? I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty bad. Both of them are pretty bad. Yeah. Same. No, having a C. It was that was rough. Noah. Noah. My youngest got just decided he was going to hang out and not come out when he was supposed to, and yeah. everybody went into distress. And Has Noah ever done what he was no, supposed to do? That little fucker is so stubborn. I swear. But I had to get a catheter, oh. and it was very convenient. And then I had to cough when they pulled it out, which I didn't like that because that was like, you know, a whole Yeah, but you're over that thing. now. That's, that, that's been a while, right? It's been four or five years. Well, it's been four years, but do you ever really get over being violated through your urethra? Well, I've never been violated in that nature. Well, then you wouldn't know. <laughs> Have you ever had a prostate exam? Well, no. But, okay, then. Okay. But here's, she don't know anything about being violated. Yeah. Really? True. Yeah, that's True. what I'm saying. Do you wake up in the middle of the night with stuff being shoved in your nether noddies? Sometimes. <laughs> no. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> no, you do it not. It depends on the mood of Mrs. Colonel, really. I, uh, <laughs> Randy, any final thoughts on Dean Carell, the candy man? No. Did you like him? No. He was, was, kind, of, he was kind of a dick. He's kind of a cockwomble. Well, He's he a cockwomble. He was. Oh, my God. It's hotter than Satan's outhouse. Colonel, your final thoughts on Dean Carell? My final thoughts, if it, if it were a perfect world, Dean Carell still be around. Why are you asking? Every day thoughts? I would come in and be able to turn the little uh, garret that he used, the ligature, uh-huh. a little tighter on his testicles right. as he was tied so, to the torture board. So cock and ball torture for you. I would nipple clamp him really uh-huh. good. I'd run just a few jolts of electricity into his uh into his nipples. What about his testicles? Um, his testicles will be have piano wire around him. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have. I would let spiders go in his ears. Okay. Um, and let's see. What else could we do today? You know what? Think about it. Yeah, you think about that. We'll get back to. Oh, you know what I would do? I would put. I would, because you can never Clearly really go honey, wrong with the honey and the fire ants. You can't go. I put some honey on his cheek, right below his eyes. Yeah. And let some fire ants go on the top of his head till they ate his eyeballs out. Brandy, where can people find us? <laughs> and he's choking herself. You can find us on uh, Facebook at History Dweebs or join our podcast group called, at History Dweebs, the podcast group. Uh, we have a lot of folks, a lot of our listeners are active on there, so we invite you to join us. Just uh, send us a request. That's History Dweebs, the podcast. Look us on, on Facebook. We're on um, Twitter. Uh, at History Dweebs 1. We're not on YouTube, nor will we ever be, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Uh, but find us on Stitcher and uh, numerous other pay- places where you can fire an RSS feed. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all again st- next time on History Good day, Dweebs. listeners. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.